So I'm thankful you're here today. I'm gonna to talk to you um, about living a revived life and what that looks like. And um, in Western culture, at some point in time, revival was, and this is not what happened, what's happening here, but I feel like God is reconstructing that word in the, side, in, in, in the minds of his children. Is that revival used to be a series of services that we had, you know, special singing, you'd have that. And you'd probably have a great service until the, until the night. But how many of y'all know that revival means lives that are being revived? Cities that are being revived. Churches that are being revived. Not just something that's happening on a corporate level, but more importantly, something that's happening on the inside of God's children and what he's moving in and how he's doing it. And, and if you are having a great service, but nothing's changing when you leave the room, that's not revival. You just had a good time. I don't know. This is not going to be the most polished thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about living a revived life. Can you stand on your feet with me, please? And what I'd like to do, can you just point your hands towards me and pray for me? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray for each other. Amen. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for your promises. I thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. I thank you, Lord, of what you're doing, not just here at the church, at the potter's house, but God, what you are doing all throughout this world. And God, I pray today for this congregation that you would continue to pull us closer, that you would continue to pull us nearer to your heart. God, I pray that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that you would, uh, Lord, help us to become alert to what you're saying and what you're doing, even in our own lives, God. And we thank you and we love you. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. All right, living a revived life. I also made this, like, slide presentation at like 11.30 last night, somewhere in the air. So if there's a typo, eh, it is what it is. <laughs> Living a revived life. I want to I wanna read to you first because what, what basically what we're going to do here is I'm going I'm to talk to you about a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. I, I feel like the Lord highlighted a few specific ones that I'm to talk about this morning. But how many of y'all know that when God is moving and he's present, his fruit should be seen? His fruit should be seen in how we treat each other, how we treat the world around us, in the light that we take, in, in the light that we bring, in the, in the way that we make people feel. Listen, you should make people feel the love of God around you. And I'm not saying you should be standing up and grabbing the microphone at Kroger and being like, all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And just smiling at somebody, telling them hi and being kind to them might be the most revelatory thing that they experience all day. But I want to read to you out of Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. I'm just going to read this real fast. And I feel like i got to provide this, over, this overarching kind of understanding before we get into it. Um, the Bible said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say love. love. Say joy. joy. Say peace. peace. Say long-suffering. Say kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Thank you for repeating that. I do want to point out um, the fruit of the Spirit, which you probably heard this before. It's not the fruit. Uh, it's, it's, it's all of them. You don't get to pick and choose. Just, it's, it's not like you're going to the farmer's market and you're like, I'm going to be kind today, but I'm not going to be uh, I'm not gonna be long-suffering. You can't be kind with long-suffering, right? When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's like... Um, you need all of them. They complement each other. One thing leads into the other, which leads into another. Before you know it, you're living beyond your capability. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit that allows us to walk in this. And it goes on to say, I just want to finish reading this. And those who um, are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Selah. I'll read it again. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So I kind of want to set the stage for, the, we're, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I, 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 
what I would encourage you to do is go home this afternoon, open your Bible, open your Bible app, whatever you use to Galatians 5, and begin to study this out yourself. What I love about the Bible is when it gives us checklists. Am I the only one that likes that? It's not just like this, this 30,000 foot idea in the sky. No, it's like, boom, boom, this is what you do. Boom, that's what you do. And you can literally get to the end of the day and you can go back through your day and say, did I do these things? And if you can say, no, I didn't do these things, then guess what? His mercies are new every morning. And you get another chance tomorrow because he's good. But I want to start that by just saying, hey, let's look at this overall, this overarching thing. And, and, and revival and reviving is something that God has always done. I want you to turn in your Bibles or it's on the screen here. We're going to read in Ezekiel 37 because I want to show you a principle before we dive into certain things that I believe and that the Lord is leading us to show and to uh, model to the world around us here at the Potter's House. Can we talk about the Potter's House today? Yes, we can. All right, first of all, in Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10, we're going to read this, and we're going to read this in the context of, let's talk, let's see God breathing into these valley of dry bones. But I do want to tell you that this is a prophetic picture of the whole house of Israel that you end up reading before. So I want to kind of let you understand, like, yes, we're going to put this in the context of we're talking about us today and what we see here. But he's talking about the whole house of Israel. The Bible says in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. I want you first to see. I I want you to say, the hand of the Lord was on me. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything unless God's hand's on me. I felt the difference before. I felt when God's hand was not on me, and I felt when God's hand is on me. Let me tell you something. I am far better at whatever I am trying to accomplish when his hand is on me. You can't accomplish, listen, there's no goodness in us. I can't heal nobody. I can't save nobody. I can't redeem anybody. It's only God. So he said his hand was on me. Verse two, he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. What's crazy about this is, you know, um, You know, the Bible says that there'll be a, in the last days a famine of the word that goes out in the land. And it's not that, I, I believe it's not that the word continues to be preached. I believe it's that the word continues to be preached with the ideas of man intertwined. Because I'm telling you right now, you can open up a podcast, you can open up YouTube, you can look, it up, you can look up a sermon, and you would have page after page after page after page of messages that are being taught. And they're not all bad, but I'm saying there's a famine in the land because a lot, of, a lot of folks, they preach and they teach ideas. And then we kind of put a spin on it that makes it be what we want it to be. And this is a dry land that we're living in. It's, it's why I believe that you see a lot of Christians today, and let's just talk about Western culture, who say Jesus is Lord, who dance in the altars, who lift up their hands. Oh, this is too much for a spring forward Sunday. (laughs) But then they leave and go to a restaurant and are rude to their waitress. Oh no. (laughs) And we don't act the way that we just acted. You know, it's like two different sets of people. And and we're all, listen, it's, nobody's perfect. Nobody is. But I'm saying there, there is a, there's a difference between making a mistake and, and forming a pattern of lifestyle. And what I believe is that we have this opportunity every time we, every time we gather together, it's an invitation for you to come closer to the heart of God and to say, yes, God, transform me. How many, I, like this, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful thing because God's a good father, but I love when we're in worship or when we're in prayer and God begins to highlight something inside of me that I have to change. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's conviction and that's the leading of God the Father to say, listen, you're living this way, but I'm calling you to walk away from that into the newness of the life that I've called you to in every area of your life. Not just in how you praise, not just in how you worship, not just in how you do this and do that, but God's interest in, interested in the totality of who you are. Verse three, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Ezekiel said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
I, I like the response of Ezekiel here. Because like some of us can be like, can these bones live? We can be like, you better believe it. You know they can. And I think that what we see is like this, um, this dependence and this abandonment of knowing it all from Ezekiel. Of course he, these dry bones can live, you know? Of course, if, if you're saying, can these dry bones live, you can do the thing. But he says, you alone only know. And sometimes I feel like we, we, we can get a little too big for our britches. And we can think, we can become too familiar with who God is. And I think that all these things that I'm talking about here, living two lives, one life that's in, one life that's in the church, one life that's at home, wherever you go, if they don't match up, that's going to kill any kind of revival in your life. This right here, becoming too familiar with God and saying, hey, um, we're going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G today in service, and then we're going to go home. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having order and structure and having it, but man, there's sometimes where we might be done, but that doesn't mean that God's done. And sometimes we check off our list by coming and we do this and we do that and we go on, but God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. There's more that I want to do in you. There's more that I want to bring into, into existence here with you together. And then in, in, in verse 4, he says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. I want you to say that. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Hey, see law on that too. I prophesied as I was commanded. God said to do something, I did it. I have yet in my life, and I was thinking about this last night. I have yet in my life to step out in faith on something that God said and regret it. And fall flat on my feet. Even if the answer didn't come right away. Even if the answer wasn't presented like, boom, right there it is. Let's, this, is this is it. Like, even if I had to wait for a while, I still rested in the fact that God said it and I did it. And sometimes that's the reward. Like, we, we think that when we do what God says, like, we should be able to open the door and there's a giant check that says, hey, you want a million bucks. That would be awesome. But sometimes the reward, let me, let, me, let me change that, all the times, the reward is simply doing what he said. And if he rewards you in return or if he blesses you in return, that's all icing on top of the cake. But it is our life's goal to do as he's commanded. Amen? Amen. Y'all still with me? I feel like I'm talking super slow. <laughs> so like, like you guys are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Going to sleep with me. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I, I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. I want you to say there was a noise. A rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. What, what is, what's crazy to me is, can you imagine, like, like, okay, for real, think about this. You're Ezekiel, standing over these valley of dry bones. God's saying, you can do this. And we can do this. And he says, do this. And all of a sudden, you start seeing these things come together. Like, what would some of us do? I wonder sometimes, I'm, I'm be serious right here. I wonder sometimes if things like that happen today, how many of us would, would cry blasphemy? If, if, if they say, hey, go find the coins to pay that tax in the, in, in the mouth of a fish, we'd be like, yeah, right. How many of y'all remember the story of the axe head that floated? Come on. Yes, come on. Hey, do me a favor. Let's all point our hands over here. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Yeah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yeah, new life, new life, new life. Yes, Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, Lord, you're doing a thing. You're doing a thing. We pray over her right now, God. Yes, Lord. Mm. Amen.
on, you can do better than that. <laughs> what I love about that is it's, it's one thing during worship, it's what we've been doing. It's another thing to say, God, yeah, I want to be baptized. I don't want to do it right now. While the, while the guy's speaking on platform, I don't care. Thank you for your obedience. Amen. Let's give God another hand clap of praise. Hmm. Amen. So he did as God said. God told him what he was going to do before he did it. He did the thing. So God said, I'm going to cause tendons and skin. Come on. And then he began to prophesy. And don't you know it, the very thing that God said he was going to do, he did. Because he's not a man that he should lie. God has spoken. Listen, we're getting ready to take a first fruits offering next week. And some of you guys need to pray and ask God, what do you want from me? What do you want from my life? Because what he's, what he's speaking to you, he's giving you grace to give. And, and, and for, for my two cents, the scarier it is, the, the more faith that it takes, and I believe that it pleases God more. <laughs> right? Amen. Okay. See, my brain is like trying to split me in a bunch of different directions right now. I don't come back here. The word prophesy means to proclaim the word of God over. How many of y'all believe in the spirit of prophecy still? It's still alive and God is still speaking to his children. There was a noise. There's always a sound. There's always a sound. Uh, Pastor James has been um, telling me over and over again that we're blowing these trumpets and that we're coming to a moment in time where all of us that are sitting in these pews will emit a sound that takes us into a new season of what God is doing. I just want to take a time out here for what I'm talking about. I, I, I want you to understand how important your voice is in worship. Yeah, we have these things, and it makes us louder, and we have these drums, and we have these keyboards, and we're, we're doing all the things that the, the Scripture has commanded us. But even if your voice is a tenth of the volume as somebody who's got one of these mics, it still matters. And worship unto God in a corporate setting is the absolute best when everybody in the room is engaged. Why? Because he deserves it all. Yeah? So next week when we come in, I want you to, uh, listen, you can look up on YouTube, vocal warm-ups. Come in here ready to blow next week because we are going to sing with everything we've got. Amen. Yeah. So there was a noise, but there was no breath in them. So, like, and this is another thing I want to point out in this, in, this, in this scripture. God is a God of order. So even as he began to put these bones back together and he began to put the tendons in the skin, he didn't get it out of order. He didn't get it out of order because he's a God of order. Do you, could you imagine how different this story would have been if, if it was out of order? And it's as scary as that in our services sometimes um, to say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Lead us, guide us. We want to go down the path that you're taking us because we don't want chaos. We want your order. Because in God's order, there is a unity that comes into the room and it makes it easier to follow his, his goodness. Verse nine, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. I want you to say a vast army. See, so you have like several different kind of levels here that you're viewing. You, you, you see at the very beginning, Ezekiel comes and it's just a valley of dry bones. And then he prophesies. And then the dry bones are put together, but they were not alive. They did not have the breath inside of them yet. And it wasn't until he prophesied the breath into them that they came to life. And I think that we need to evaluate our lives to say, which stage am I living in? Do I have this form? Do I look like I'm together, but I have no life inside of me? Pastor Michael says it all the time. I think it's great. I, you, like you just watch how somebody worships and connects to the Spirit of God, and you'll be able to tell if they have a true revelation of who He is. And, and nobody's got to convince me to praise God. 
Nobody's got to convince most of you to praise God. I love how you worship and how you praise. But when you know him and you're not just the form, you're not just an empty body, but you've got the spirit of the living God who has breathed on you and it's his breath that's in your lungs and you're ready to give it back to him, nobody can stop that. Nobody can. Not just here, but tomorrow morning, Tuesday, as you go through it, nobody can take your praise. Sometimes it's easier than others, but nobody can stop it. But Ezekiel prophesied when, and I want you to see this right now. This is going to be just incredibly brain-breaking. The revelation you're getting ready to see is that breath equals life. Whoa. (laughs) Breath equals life. It's the breath of God that started it all when he breathed into Adam. And it is his breath that continues on in us Today, we are not fully alive until God has breathed upon us. What does that mean? Right? What's that mean? What that means is, you're not fully alive in him until you've been close enough to him for him to breathe on you. My son Oliver, he, I can already tell that one of his love languages is, is that touch. Because if you are sitting on a couch, he will come and he will place himself firmly upon you. He'll grab your head and he'll look you right in the eyes. And he's been close enough to smell his daddy's breath. And I'm thankful to God for all of us that God's breath is better than daddy's. But he's Abba Father. Yes, he is this great God who hung the stars, who who has done everything. He's greater than you could ever imagine. But he is also this God who's Abba Father, who says, I am daddy God. And he bids you come like little children. We are to come before him. And until you have been close enough to him to feel the rhythm of his heart and not just be there for a season, but to live there. Listen, we are, we are not running. It's not a sprint that we're running. We are running a marathon. I have never in my life ran a marathon. And I know that's shocking to all of you. I have sprinted for a little, <laughs> I sprinted for a little bit, but whatever. But I, I, I know when, you know, when I've played basketball and I've done this, and you, you're running, you're running, you get that si- your pain right here in your side. There's sometimes you might be running, 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 you get this pain in your side. How many of y'all know the, the one who can fix the pain is the one you got to go to? There's a lot of times that we're running after God and we get hurt. And the first thing that we do, intentionally or unintentionally, is we blame God. You say, no, I don't blame God. Well, what we do is we begin to distance ourselves from him. We begin to distance ourselves. We, we don't go, we don't run straight to the one that can make us whole. I mean, maybe you do. I'm not, I'm, maybe I don't want to make a blanket statement. But sometimes when we get hurt, before we go to God, we call the prayer chain. I ain't talking about the spiritual one. We call this person, that person, so they can know this is why we got hurt. And then you, you, you are living with this pain in your side and you're wondering, why can't I just be happy, full of joy, full of this? Well, you still have yet to take the pain to the pain healer. Yeah? Breath equals life. We have to spend time in his presence. John 10, 10 said this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life uh, for his sheep. The King James Version says abundantly. I want you to say that word abundantly. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That means life real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ. More abundantly, more abundantly, he has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do we find that? We spend time in his presence. And I want to talk to you about this vast army real fast. Listen, there, the, the Bible says in uh, 2 Kings 6, 16 through 17, we're... we're, we're um, the prophet says, open his eyes so he can see that there's more that are for us than that are against us. And I feel like in this day and age that we live, isolation is one of the number one tools that the enemy will use against God's children 
to try to convince you that you're the only one who's going through it, to try to convince you that, that you're the only one, that nobody really loves you, nobody really likes you, and church hurts a, a real thing, and that's a, you know, church hurts another thing that we don't take to God, we just take to another church. When I was pastoring and somebody would come and say, yeah, we just left this church because the pastor did this. While they're saying this to me when we were in Reynoldsburg, I knew that I was going to be that pastor in six months to somebody else. Because instead of allowing God to heal us, we run with that thing. And it starts to become our identity. But there's this vast army, and not just in the number of people who name the name of Jesus, but there's a whole unseen spiritual realm. We are not alone in this. You're not alone in this. If you're feeling isolated and alone, God has given us each other to combat that. No man is an island. You cannot, we have not been designed to run this race on our own. We've not been designed to run this thing without accountability. So we see this, we see this beautiful picture of God who has revived this whole valley of dead, dry bones, and he's brought them back to full form. And now I want to talk to you about signs of revival, living a re revived life. I want you to say that, living a revived life. First thing that the Lord spoke to me when I was thinking about this over the last couple of days. By the way, I just found that I was preaching Thursday night. So I was like, speak God, your child's listening. And the first thing that, I, that he spoke to me is, a sign of a, rev a revived life is joy. Joy. Don't you love that color of blue? I do. Joy. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, joy. Turn to the other person next to you and say, joy. Psalm 47.1 says this. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Loud songs of joy. I love it. Because I played drums for most of my life, so I'm half deaf. I love that word loud in there. I love loud. And I, I've been to a Buckeye game. My wife and I went to the, the game, uh, the greatest game I ever went to a Buckeye game was when they came back in like double overtime and beat Purdue back in 2015, 16. And, and it, Kenny G was the backup quarterback and I, that, that place was so loud that it was shaking my insides. And in the moment, I'm like, yeah, rock and roll. But then I'm also like, I want to feel that in here. I want to feel that right in this place that we praise God so passionately and with joy. We were at this church this, this weekend, and the pastor told us, this is the craziest thing, and I want, to, I want to see it. There was a trombone up there, and he said that the trombone player, when he gets really blessed, he takes his trombone, and he starts twirling around like this. Twirling around. Yeah, wow. I was like, that's dangerous, bro. <laughs> How did he die? He got hit with a trombone. I've been, I've seen people who get so full of the joy of the Lord that they can't handle themselves. They can't, they can't, like, when's the last time that you've just felt overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord? And I believe more than anything that joy leads to thanksgiving. Because when I'm thankful and I'm satisfied and I'm content, then I can just rest and have joy in who God is right now. I don't have to have the new whatever. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to be verified and do whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of God because I have joy. I, my, I get it from him. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Turn to the person next to you and say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Turn to the other person and say it. We gotta, we gotta get this in our, in our souls, y'all. When the world looks at the church, they shouldn't just see a beat down people. They should, be, they should see a people radiating with the joy of the Lord. It don't matter what they're going through because we're not living for this moment. We're living for an eternity beyond now. And too much of our joy is based on our current circumstances. And I get it. It's, it's hard. It's easy for, us to, for me to stand up here and be like, be joyful. 
But sometimes it don't, you don't feel like being joyful. But let me tell you something. If it was easy to be joyful all the time, there would be no need for sacrifice. <laughs> like, let's be honest. There's some times where it just, life stinks. And I believe more than anything that when life stinks, that's the best time to give God what he deserves. Because that's when it's a true sacrifice. And that's what God has been looking for is somebody who will lay it down. Not because it feels good, but because they know it is their responsibility to respond in such with joy. A.W. Tozer said this, what I am anxious to see in Christian believers is a beautiful paradox. I want to see them, uh, I want to see in them the joy of finding God while at the same time they are blessedly pursuing him. I want to see in them the great joy of having God, yet always wanting him. I love that. I love that statement because you can never get all of who God is. And every time you encounter him, there's always an invitation. To, he's saying, come, 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 come closer, come closer to me. But there must be joy in the pursuit. I pray that God brings a joy back to coming to the church house. That we get excited about coming together and we don't, you know, it's not just something we do, but it's something that we get to do. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy. I want you to scream out, joy. Joy. Woo. That was good. All right. Let's talk about peace. I want you to say peace. You don't have to scream it. Say peace. It wouldn't make sense for us to scream peace, would it? Psalm 29, 11 says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 28, 30 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're struggling with peace today, go find the peacemaker. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm gonna say it again. Don't let them be afraid. What's, what's funny is I was, uh, I was texting with my son yesterday when I, was, when I was putting all this together and he was like, what are, you, what are you preaching? And at that point in time, I was like, I don't know. It's like this idea. This is my son Graham. And he said, I think you should talk to him about peace. And I said, okay, I will do that. And so he gave me, I got all these verses about peace from my son. What's so beautiful about it is, right, like, uh, we take on so many burdens and cares in this life that we were never meant to. And my prayer for us today is that we have the peace of a child on us. Just to simply believe that God is the peace speaker and that we don't have to wrestle, wrestle and fight and do all this to jockey, but we just have peace in who God is. Amen? John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Let me say it again for those of you in the back. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Look at the person next to you and tell them, take heart. Take heart. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, uh, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. A key to living a life full of joy, a key to living a life full of peace, is living in thanksgiving. We don't put enough value on thanksgiving, I don't feel like, in our life. Because I can't be sour when I'm being thankful. I, I, can't, I can't be feeling one way when I'm just happy with all that God has done in my life. All right, the third thing. Let's talk about love. I want you to say love. So we have a sign of a revived life is that you're, these are the things that the Lord has specifically highlighted to me for today. It's joy, peace, and now let's talk about love. Love might be the most important one up to this point. John 13, 34 through 36 says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He wanted us to get it so much that he put it twice in there. 
I'm going to read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. A new commandment I give to you is that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. He's like, get it. Love each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If somebody looked at your life, would they be able to say that you were a disciple? 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother for whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's a heavy verse. A sign of a revived life is that you love. And not just, hey, I love you. It's a deeper love than that. It's, it's the love of the Father that we are communicating to the world around us. Romans 12 and 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Boy, man, if we get that right, it would change the entire dynamic of church across this globe. Outdo one another in giving honor. Not fight for position. Not fight for prestige. Not fight for this and that. But to outdo one another in giving. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say it. Be about it. You can change somebody's life with just a simple action. And listen, nobody, again, I, I don't want you to think that anybody's in here and they've got this 100% right. Sometimes you're getting it, sometimes you don't, but you ask God, give me opportunities, teach me, show me, make me into who you want to be. I gotta, I gotta get moving. John 6, 35 says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend expect, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be uh, sons of the most high for he is kind to, uh, uh, he is kind to the ungrateful, uh, for he is, un he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That was the time change right there that caused me to do that. <laughs> and then I just want to read this to you, 1 Corinthians 13, four, uh, 1 through 14. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This is why I say this is probably the most important thing we're talking about right now. I have, I, have, I have nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give all my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. This is another one of those checklists. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Say that. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. I believe that love is one of the greatest tests that we will face in our lifetime. How do you love one another? And, and that's in every area. How do you love in your marriage? How do you love in your response to your kids? How do you love in your response to your parents? How do you love in your response to your this and that? And, and how do you love is a question that I believe that each of us should ask ourselves, how do I love? Is the love that I'm showing screaming to the world around me that I am a revived person that has been touched by the hand of God and so I'm loving like that has happened to me. Love, it's an important thing. The next thing was faith. Say faith. faith. And I'm coming down. I'm getting to the most important part here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. I read this in a commentary. It says, Just as our physical eyesight is the sense that gives us evidence of the material world, faith is the sense that gives us evidence of the invisible spiritual world. Faith is needed for what we can't see and what we can't touch. Like, I believe, I believe you're supposed to study. I believe that you are supposed to, to know the word. I believe that you're, but there are some things that logic cannot take you to in faith. There's some things that God is going to call you to. There's, faith is believing. Even if you can't see it right in front of you, you believe it. Why? Because you trust in God. Having faith in. 
So like sometimes we've got to be like, I need to see this, this, this. And I'm not saying there ain't nothing wrong with putting out a fleece. I believe in that. I talked to somebody yesterday who put out a fleece to the Lord who said, God, if you do this, I'll know you're saying that. And God did this and it changed their life and God's moving powerfully in them. But I'm going to tell you right now, faith is not always going to be explainable. Yeah, it's not. Sometimes God's going to ask you to step out in faith and people are going to look at you and say, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And let them believe that. Because I, I, you know, it goes on to say in, in verse six, um, I'm sorry, at the end of verse one, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Do you want a good testimony? You have to show faith. You have to believe that God said what he said and walk in it. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love this passage in Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Uh, where this is talking about Jesus. It said, Early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only, will you, uh, not only can you do um, what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I believe that most of us are exactly like Jesus. This is probably the place that we've been the most like Jesus in our life. We were hangry. I just like, for me, this shows, this, he was fully, fully us and fully, fully man, fully God. He walked up one to get something to eat and he saw leaves and he says, I curse you tree. And it, it warmed. There's a principle here he said it and it happened. And I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, feel, I wish that God would bring us back to this place, church, that when we pray, that we believe that it will happen. That when we pray, we believe that what we're praying about in accordance with the will of God will happen. There, there are levels of faith that we leave behind. And I don't know why. It's like we've been talked out of it over the years. It's like we've been convinced that, oh, that's crazy. God ain't going to do that. But my Bible says, he said, whatever you ask, and in other, he said, whatever you ask according to his will, it shall be done to you. How many of you believe that God still answers prayer? We've seen this. We've seen people be healed right here in this altar area. We prayed for, for a guy at this men's conference on Friday night who came in. He had such a bad migraine that he couldn't even read the words on the screen. And when we began to pray for him and believe that God can touch him, the migraine went away like that in a second of time. He could see clearly. So if you're battling with migraines, God says you're healed. Because testimony says that he'll do it again. I'm talking about praying and believing, not just hoping. Man, man, like, you know, we don't just sing songs to the sky. We don't just pray and send it up there and hope that it's received. But if we pray and we believe, the Bible says that it shall be done unto you. That's not just what we're talking about here in church. I'm talking about in whatever you are facing, that prodigal son that you're facing, pray and believe that prodigal daughter, pray and believe that God will bring them home. Pray aggressive prayers. Pray for God to absolutely bombard their dream life. Don't just pray, God, protect my baby. No, no, no. God, go get my baby. Holy Spirit, go even right now and begin to pull the heart. Don't let them sleep until they know who you are. Pray aggressive prayers. I have seen videos in the past. I think it was in India or something somewhere. Maybe some of you have seen this. There's a tornado moving towards this meeting place. And this is biblical kind of stuff. And they begin to pray toward this wind. And it was like on a dime that thing moved and started going the other way. And I'm not talking about word of faith kind of stuff. I'm talking about praying it and believing it and seeing God come through. I just think that God's waiting for somebody to get crazy with their faith. That's good. All right. 
Well, we're getting late here, aren't we? I can tell. <laughs> faith. Look at the person next to you say faith. 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 All right. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I have to say it because I think I put it on a, on a slide. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Even if you can't see it, believe it. Because we don't walk by what we see. And this is the place that I want to land at today. A revived life is one that is marked by transformation. Transformation. I want you to say that word transformation. I'm going to read through Romans 6 right now. I didn't put it up here because it's a lot. But I, this is when, when, when I was just searching through and asking God, what do you want to say? When I hit Romans 6, this is where I felt like God wanted us to just stay for a minute here today. And I believe that there are people in this room who maybe you've said the sinner's prayer, but you're not walking a transformed life. I want to read these words over you. And I believe that you're going to walk out of here no longer being a slave to the sin that has held on to you for so long. Amen, church? Hear these words. Romans 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? And this is after talking about Christ taking our place and all the beautiful things that he did to replace the law with his new covenant. The Bible says, what then shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed um, from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he has, the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to say, be dead to sin. Dead to sin. Say it louder than that, dead to sin. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not pretend that your members are instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall ha not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And then it starts talking about this, from slaves of sin to slaves of God. What then shall we... Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slave to obey, you are also that one slave whom you obey? Rather of sins leading you through, uh, you were slave of sin, yet you obey from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Say slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of this weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as a slave of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I began to read this yesterday in the hotel and I read it again on the airplane on the way back. And the Lord began to stir me so deeply to sin that is holding on to, the, to those who have been freed from it, but they're not living like they're dead to it. What's that mean? Get, let's get real here today. That's, I'm talking about that thing that you do that nobody knows that you do and it's still got a grip on you. 
We have been called to live free from all sin because we've been, we've been crucified. We like to talk about the life. We don't like to talk about the crucifixion and the death that we are to share in with Jesus. That's as much a part as being saved as it is to be raised again in new life. And once I've died to myself, my flesh, listen, the, that, that, the chapter clearly talks about you used to live your life unto unrighteousness. But now you've been called to live and to use your body for righteousness unto God. So can I get an amen from somebody in this place today? I believe that the number one sign of a revived life is somebody who walks away from the things that have been holding them forever. You have the power to do it. But you don't have the power to do it. He has the power to do it in you. And he's done it. If you're walking and you're walking in this laid down life of God, I'm giving you everything. Lord, I'm giving you control. I've died to my sin. And sometimes it starts in words, but it's born in actions. It starts in words, but it's born in the choices that we make, in the decisions that you make day after day after day. Who are you glorifying in your body? I don't want to just know him by words. I want to know him by way. And what's, this is one of the things I like, I, and Holy Spirit's working in this because I, I, I just, I know it. Because even right now, you're hearing me talk about stuff like this and God is highlighting those things to you. God's showing you those things that he wants you to walk out of. And again, the number one sign of a revived life is a life that has been transformed. If you have found a version of the gospel that does not lead to transformation, you have found a false, false gospel. God finds you the way that you are, but he doesn't leave you that way. And every day through the conviction of his Holy Spirit, even through the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in love, joy, peace, and all the things that we, we highlighted here today, he's calling you to greater living. You can't do it on your own. It's only by the grace of Jesus. Church, can you pray with me real fast? You guys can come play if you'd like. But I feel like we're at this place today. We're at this moment of where there's decisions that needs, needs to be made in our, in our own lives, in our own hearts. And so, Father God, I pray right now that the spirit of truth would come and infiltrate every life in this place today. Lord, that you would come and that you would sweep through this room from the front to the back, side to side. Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. God, that you would come and that you would set on us, Jesus.